Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. We're going to be in verse 7 and finish the chapter all the way to verse 25. Kind of a nice uh, break in our series today. And uh, like I said, we're going to finish Romans chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardback Bible in the pew in front of you or, or around you. If you don't own a Bible, take that. We believe that this is God's Word and we want you to have God's Word. We're in a section this morning that, is, that has been debated for centuries and is a little bit longer and a little bit more difficult, but I believe that God is really going to be able to help us to see as we kind of zoom out to the context of the entire book of Romans. Okay, But before we go there, uh, about 11... About 11 years ago, Alicia and I uh, moved from Wisconsin down to Dallas, Texas. It was Memorial Day weekend of 2011, and there was a man in our church named Larry. He uh, decided that he would buy a trailer and load up all of our stuff and move it down to Texas. And so we loaded up our apartment and he was going to leave in a couple days. And we went down to visit family for a couple days. And, and we had just decided throughout the whole thing, uh, we'll just make it to, to Dallas about the same time. You go your way, we'll go our way. And whatever happens, happens. But when we get there, we'll, we'll talk and then we'll unload. And so we went down and visited family. And then uh, on a Sunday morning, we got up and we made the long trek down to Kansas City, Missouri. As we made, to, made it to Kansas City, we, we, uh, we had the opportunity to visit some friends there and just enjoyed the night and enjoyed dinner and, and went to sleep. And the next morning, we got up. And as we were uh, on the highway, I was driving my pickup and Alicia was driving the car, her car behind me. And I put in the GPS. This was before I had a smartphone, so I put in the GPS, and I'm listening to the radio, and all of a sudden, the radio announcer mentions that there's this massive tornado that had happened. And all of a sudden, they say Joplin, Missouri. Anyone remember the tornado in Joplin, right? And I was like, why in the world have I heard of Joplin before? I don't know if you ever get that, like you, you hear something, I've heard of that, I don't know why. And all of a sudden I look down at my GPS and I realize I know why I've heard Joplin, Missouri before, because that's the direction I'm heading. I was about an hour and a half away from Joplin, Missouri. And so I remember just getting on the phone, calling Alicia and saying, hey, the interstate's closed, it was a terrible tornado last night, like uh, I don't know what to do, we're just going to have to play this by ear. And so at that point, I, I got on the phone and I called Larry, our truck driver, and I remember calling him. I said, Larry, I don't know where you're at, but this is what happened last night. I just want to let you know so you can go around it. And he began to tell me where he was at. And by God's grace, he was literally on the same highway, two exits ahead of us. I say, so, okay, great, great. Why don't we just link together and from there all the way to Texas. Why, why don't we just kind of link and, and follow each other all the way down to Texas. And so we get on the highway together and, and we're going down and, and the sky becomes darker and darker and darker. 
he calls me and says, hey, I need, I need gas. And so we pull off at, at this truck stop and get gas. And as truckers come in to get gas, they're asking us, where are you going? And we said, well, we've got to go south and we've got to eventually get to Tulsa. And I just remember one face of a trucker to this day, he just said, you don't want to go that way. It was bad yesterday. It's worse today. He said, they, th- they think there's more tornadoes coming. To- you don't want to go there. I remember looking to Larry and be like, are we really going to do this? Like, like what are we going to do? And he said, okay, well, let's go over to the Walmart and we'll kind of figure out how bad the storm is. And, and we kind of hid out in the Walmart for about 30 minutes as the rain pounded uh, our vehicles and just pounded uh, the area. And finally he said, you know what? Let's go. Let's do this. Uh, if you've ever been around me, you know that kind of terrifies me. And so I'm just like, oh no, what, what's happening here? And, and so literally we got in, he leads the way and he cuts across back roads so we get into Kansas and then we're in like southeast corner of Kansas, like two lane roads, water rushing over the roads. We get into Oklahoma and I'm hydroplaning my way through. I remember just white-knuckling it and just saying, if I could just keep looking at Larry, we can get through. And finally, we got down to Tulsa, and the weather was, uh, weather was better, and we got on the interstate, and we were able to make it to Texas. You see, in the middle of such a devastating storm, in the middle of, of something that causes me much angst, and, and honestly, I was freaking out just a little bit, like when water's coming on your windshield and you can't see anything and you start to feel your car fly a little bit through the water, kind of brings a little bit of uncertainty to me. And yet through all of that, the one thing that held me steady, the one thing that anchored me through all of that is knowing that Larry was with us. Knowing that he had done this before, he knew the route, and he could get us through. Larry was our deliverer. You see, this morning, as we look at this passage, what we're going to see is that as we journey through life, and as we experience trials in life, and as we experience the sin that just happens, or the sin that we partake in, as we look at all of that, so often, the way that we try to plow through is is in our own power, thinking if we just muster up strength, if we just muster up uh, good deeds or smarts or whatever it might be, if we can just somehow channel inside, then we can figure our way through it. And what Paul's going to show us is that you and I cannot figure our way through it. That we need a deliverer, and the deliverer is not you. The deliverer actually comes from outside of you. And so what Paul's going to show us this morning is that we need to stop turning to ourselves for deliverance, but instead we need to turn to Jesus for our deliverance. And so the main point that Paul's going to get after this morning is that our only hope for a sinful life. The only way you and I can make it through life and, and make it through uh, the sin that, that surrounds us and the sin that's in us, our only hope is deliverance that comes from Christ. 
nothing that you can do, no scheme, no intelligence, nothing that you can do can get you through this life. You must rest in the deliverance that comes through Jesus Christ. And so with that, let's go ahead and read our passage this morning. And as we do, would you stand with me as we read our passage? We stand in order to honor God and his word, that we might uh, have a heart posture of recognizing the King of kings and Lord of lords is speaking to us now. So Romans 7, starting in verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you should not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual But I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law. That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body, this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. So we are journeying through the book of Romans uh, because as John Calvin, the 16th century French reformer once said, the way to know yourself is to actually know God. 
That if you want to know more of who you are and more, become more aware of who you are, you actually have to look to God, the very one who created you, and understand who he is, and then that can transform your understanding of yourself. And that's massive, isn't it? Because if we're not careful, we have a misunderstanding of who God is, and thus a misunderstanding of ourselves, and we begin to elevate ourselves above God. And all we have to do is just pull back and read the book of Romans to realize that we are not above God, right? Because Paul has shown us so far that God has a plan for all of eternity, and that plan is to rescue you and I through the power of the gospel. Every one of us recognizes that there's something broken inside. If you don't know that yet, just wait this week. I'm sure life will kind of hit you in the stomach, and then you'll realize, I'm not perfect. I'm broken, right? And so through that, we need something to make us right. And Paul tells us that it is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes us right with God. And yet that same gospel that makes us right with God also executes justice for those who, tr- who continue to rely upon themselves. And the reality is, if we're not careful, it's all of us, right? Paul actually gets in in Romans chapter 3 that no one does good, no one understands, no one seeks for God, no one is righteous. In case you didn't realize what that meant, there's no asterisk next to any of that that says you're the exception. And so the reality of what we see is that uh, Paul tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Paul picks that up in 6.23 to say that the wage of that sin is now death. It's a spiritual separation from God. It's a physical uh, dying and eventual death that we experience here. And it'll be a physical and spiritual death for all of eternity. So what's our hope in all of that? You know, if we're not careful, what we think the, the solution is, is for us to somehow uh, pull up our boots, you know, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, kind of white knuckle, get to work, do a bunch of good things, and then we can make our way back to God. And Paul has shown us that it is never, faith in God has never been built on what you and I can do, but rather on what Jesus Christ has already done for you and I. The problem comes is that we kind of love playing the law game, don't we? The problem is that the reason why we think it's about good deeds, and the reason why we try to do good deeds in order to gain the approval of God, is because we kind of like that game, don't we? Because when we play that game, we start to feel better about ourselves the more good deeds we do. And when we play that game, we start to kind of look out of the corner of our eye at the person next to us to see, am I better than they are? We start to compare ourselves and start to get into this game 
And what Paul's been trying to do is just debunk this idea that the law was meant for you to somehow prove yourself, but rather pull you back to say you can't prove yourself, that your value and your worth is not found in what you do, but your value and your worth must be found outside of you in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And yet we continue to struggle with that, don't we? As we get into this passage this morning, uh, this is a highly debated passage because what Paul is going to show us is that this idea that we continuously uh, have this war that is waging where we're either trusting Jesus on the one side or we're trusting in ourselves and the law on the other side. And what the debate has been for centuries now is whether Paul, as he talks in Romans 7, is he speaking about the life of someone before coming to Christ, or is he now speaking of the life of someone after coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Now, in all fairness, I actually don't think either of those really hit the target. What I think is, if you were to read the context of Romans, Paul's point is not whether, hey, this is the Christian experience, you're going to keep fighting sin, or this is the experience before Christ that you wrestle with sin, and now that you come to faith in Christ, you don't. I think he's describing both pre and post, because if we're not careful, before coming to faith in Christ, we think we're right based on what we do, and after coming to faith in Christ, we are so prone to wander back to our old ways that we still try to make ourselves right with God by, way, by what we do. So I don't think the debate is really understanding what Paul is trying to say. Paul is trying to say that we need to stop looking at the law altogether. You know, I I was talking with somebody recently that uh, we always think, if you've grown up in the church at all, you might have heard this idea of law versus license. Legalism versus license. Well, I don't want to be legalistic. Well, Well, what's legalistic? It's where you take the law and you try to obey every single thing in the law and by doing so you feel better about yourself. Any of you that kind of person, right? You're like, you are just do, 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 like check, 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 check. And then there's others of us who are licensed people who are just like, man, if I can break the law, I'm going to break the law. And if I can get creative in breaking the law, that's funner. That's more fun, right? Anybody like that? Right? The problem is, is that we often find people who are in this legalism camp, and we think the way to fight that is to go over to the other camp, but notice what both camps are looking at. The law. Both camps see their life in relation to the law rather than in relation to Jesus Christ. You know, what Paul's going to say is that the law was never meant to make you right before God. The law was meant to enjoy the fact that Jesus makes you right before God. And so to understand this, we've got to actually understand our sinful nature. And Paul's going to kind of do a deep dive on our sinful nature this morning. He's going to show us three realities of our sinful nature and then one response or one really way out of this sinful nature. Nature. So let's go ahead and look at these three realities that Paul shows us. The first reality is that sin seizes us. It grabs us. 
He actually uses this language in the passage, right? The problem is, is that you and I don't think we have a problem. We have bought the lie that we are good people. I'm not in jail. I'm nice to my neighbor. I sometimes drive the speed limit. You know, we think that we are good people by the things that we do, and yet, as I've already explained, none of us are good. It's almost like we're a cancer patient that is just uh, living in denial. Like we get the results that we've got cancer. Nope, not true. That's false. Have nope, nope, not at all. And the reality is, when you act like that, you can never find the solution to your real problem. And so what Paul's going to show us today is that we have to actually zero in and look at our sin so we can truly be healed and experience the power of Jesus at work in our lives. And he begins to show us the problem. Look at verse 7. Look at Romans 7, verse 7. We've been seeing that throughout these sections, Paul starts with a question, and now he starts with another question. He says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? It's almost as if he's saying, this is ridiculous. Because notice what he says next. By no means. He's saying that to blame the law is ridiculous. It's out of bounds. And notice the reason. He said, if it wasn't for the law... He would not have known his sin. The law actually was good to him because the law showed him his sin. But the law is not to blame for his sin. He is. Years ago, I had the unpleasant experience of realizing that I am technically self-employed. I say unpleasant because I thought being on staff at a church meant that I was employed by the church, but according to the IRS, they don't agree with that. And so what happened is I did my taxes, this was I think 2015, I, I sent my taxes in and everyone, you know, the accountant at the time uh, filed it and then later I was talking with someone and they said, oh, hold on, hold on, uh, you're a pastor of a church, you're self-employed which means you have to pay self-employment taxes. And so after going through that whole process and resubmitting our taxes, I found out I actually owed $5,000 to the United States government. Now, in that moment, if I would have went to the IRS and said, I didn't know, that's your law, it's your fault. Imagine what they would have done to me. Oh, that's cute. $5,000, please. Right? It wasn't their fault that I didn't obey their law, or that I didn't know their law. It was actually a grace of the Lord that somebody told me their law so that I didn't have to keep paying that years later. That's what Paul's saying, that we can't keep blaming the law for our own issues, because notice what he says at the end of verse 7. He says, I would not have known what it is to to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. He now goes back to the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20, and he goes to the Tenth Commandment, and he says, it's when I read that that I actually learned what it means to covet. And I learned that I shouldn't covet. 
And again, he doesn't blame himself, because look at verse, or he doesn't blame the law, but blames himself, because look at verse 8. He said, but sin, it sees an opportunity through the commandments. Sin saw the commandment and grasped at this opportunity in order to disobey the commandments. Parents, you have kids like that? (laughs) You tell them, don't do it, and you can just see their minds working. How am I going to disobey this and get away with it, right? It's enticing. We, sometimes we want to break the law because it seems exciting or it seems fun. But that's not the law's fault. That's our sinful nature's fault. It reminds me of what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says that we need to be aware that we have an enemy... That enemy is Satan, and Satan is not like your puppy that gets excited when you come home and just kind of lays on your lap that you can pet, but rather Satan is a ferocious lion. I love National Geographic, and I love watching the lions in, in, the, uh, in the desert uh, or uh, out in the wilderness in Africa, right? If you've ever seen that, they hunt in a pride and they're looking at the impalas and they find the weakest and they begin to encircle that one and then they pounce and now they've got dinner but peter says that's exactly what satan does for us that if we're not careful he comes and he pounces and he entices us to sin And we have to own that. We can't keep blaming the law or blaming others. Church, your sin does not care about your life. Your sin does not care about your happiness, does not care about your joy, does not care about your future plans. Your sin could care less about you. Your sin simply wants to devour you and lead you away from the ways of God. The problem is, is that we so often think that we are good. That's what Paul's dealing with here in this church, that the Jewish people, the religious people of God, thought that they were good simply because they owned the law and that they obeyed part of the law, and so they were good. And Paul's saying, you're not. And if you're not careful, sin comes and it won't won't just play nice with you. It will actually seize you and overtake your life. I think I said this a few weeks ago, but uh, when we toe the line with sin, it's like playing with fire. And you always get burned when you play with fire. There's no way out if we continue to play with our sin. And look at what Paul says in verse 9 then. He says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. That seems strange, doesn't it? 
Because what Paul just said is, I was alive, then I read the law and realized how sinful I am, and now I'm dead. Well, it's not exactly what Paul is getting at. We, we need to make sure that we're not confused, that, that we don't think, hey, I'm good before the law. No, what Paul is saying is that you thought you were good before the law. You thought that you were fine. Your sin was there. You were just ignorant of it. You know the saying, ignorance is bliss? That is you, that is me, before understanding the law of God. Ignorance is bliss. We feel like we're alive. And then we, realize, then we read it and we realize just how dead we actually are. It's almost as if our eyes are open to the reality of Jesus Christ. And yet, it's a beautiful thing because it begins to show us truth. Look at verse 10. The very commandment that promised life actually proved to be death to me. Ever had a list of rules and you thought, oh, that's easy. I, I, can, I can obey those rules. I, I can follow that. And then you actually try to do it. What happens? You find out it's harder to do than what you thought. And you become frustrated and annoyed and, and it just feels like this weight is on you. I remember years ago, uh, our front porch light had gone out and apparently it wasn't just a light bulb. You had to replace the whole thing. And I was busy. It was a Monday. I was busy doing other things. I mean, I'll get to it later. And finally, about 4.45, I decided to replace it. Simple. I watched a YouTube video. So apparently now I'm an expert carpenter because I watched a YouTube video. And so I thought, oh, this should take five minutes right? It's easy. So I pull the old one off and, oh, this is simple. Okay, right, put the new one on and it doesn't fit. I'm trying to shut, like I'm putting all the screws in and it doesn't fit. An hour later and my family seeing how grumpy I am, just kind of backing it up, right? I'm frustrated now because something I thought was so easy became such a frustration, something that I had hated that I even began to do. And the reality is, is that that's what happens with the law. We look at it and we think, oh, this is so easy. And then we try to do it and we realize, oh man, I can't. I've got no ability. And it becomes a frustration. It actually brings death to us. It's deceptive. Look at verse 11. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. Church, your sin does not play fair. It doesn't. You know, I've been talking with people about the war in Ukraine, and, you know, uh, the thing that really is kind of shocking to me is that we have uh, rules of war. I don't really get that. Because when you start bombing things, who's going to say, time out, you broke the rule? That's kind of what sin does. It's not a little time out. You're playing dirty here, sin. You can't do that. Sin is just going to be, I don't really care. I'm going after you. And so we've got to be careful. Church, are you careful with your sin? Thomas Brooks, a 16th century Puritan, 17th century Puritan, 
wrote in uh, a book called Apples of Gold. He said that sin deceives and tricks us. And so what you and I need to actually do is we need to be good students of our sin. We need to learn where we are tripped up by our sin so that we can begin to put barricades in front of it and fight against our sin. Do you know where sin trips you up? Are you a good student of your sin so that you can actually fight your sin? Because we see in verse 12, we can't blame others. We can only blame ourselves. Look at verse 12. Paul says that the law is holy and the commandment is holy. The commandment's righteous and it's good. If we break it, it's our fault. And so we've got to be a people who recognize that if we're not careful, sin will just grab a hold of us and pull us away. But the problem is sin doesn't just seize us. It actually enslaves us. And that's what Paul shows us secondly, is that sin enslaves us. We so often feel like we are in control of our lives, and yet without Jesus Christ, we are enslaved to our sin. We are enslaved to the kingdom of darkness, and so we need to be careful that we do not buy the lies of our sin. Look at verse 13. Paul starts with another question. He says, did that which is good then bring death to me by no means it's almost as if he thinks hey this is another ridiculous question that you are continuously looking at the law thinking oh i sinned i did this well it must be your fault right the logical conclusion that we come to is that the law enters in and so we twist the law and we are tempted to break the law so it must be the law's fault because the law tempted me to break it Paul say no. It's your fault. Own it. We are sinful. The law just shows us this. William Hendrickson, in his commentary, describes this part that the blackness of sin was put against the backdrop of the whiteness of the holiness of God that we began to see sin as it really is. You understand what he's saying? That the law's purpose is to show us the holiness of God. And when we put our sin up against it, it, it shouldn't cause us to fight. It shouldn't cause us to feel good about ourselves. It should cause us to actually humble ourselves and realize how much we fall short of the glory of God. We should actually be grateful because you and I can't get help unless we know just how terrible we actually are. And Paul continues in verse 14. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. I am sold under sin. Think about that. That apart from Jesus Christ, whether you are 
uh, whether this is before coming to faith in Jesus or you've come to faith and now you're trying to walk and live your life apart from Jesus and trying to live it in your own power, anytime we do that, the law is right, the law is good, and yet we are sold as slaves into sin. And so the reality of what you and I need to recognize is that our life should be a constant, daily turning from sin back to Jesus Christ. You know, Martin Luther, the the German reformer of the church that we uh, meet in, the German reformer who recognized that the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, saves us and gives us life with God forever. He, in his 95 thesis against the Catholic Church, he stated that the whole of the Christian life is one of repentance. You see, up until that point, the church thought, well, as long as I repent, as long as I turn from my sin one time, I'm fine. And Luther said, no, 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 no. When Jesus Christ told us to repent, he didn't mean once, he meant daily. The whole of my life should be one of repentance. Is that true of you? Like if, if we were to kind of do a little repentance gauge, would you be like, oh, I did that like three years ago. Or would you recognize that I should have done that three seconds ago? Three minutes ago. Paul is saying that otherwise we are in sin because as the, as the hymn goes, uh, come thou fount, we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, what Paul is trying to help you and I understand is that you're under sin, that you're not free. There is freedom to be had, but you don't have it yet until you come to faith in Christ, until you give up your ways and run back to Jesus you are enslaved under sin. And for the rest of us, we have to re- remind ourselves that we are in this constant struggle that if we continue to run back to the law, continue to run back to our own deeds, that is slavery. And it robs us of joy in Jesus Christ. And look at what Paul says in verse 15. He says, I don't understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but do the very thing I hate. Kind of sounds like slavery, right? Like, I don't get to do what I want to do. Verse 16, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. It's almost as if Paul is recognizing that what he is doing is not right. And so he, in that moment, he can declare that the law is good because he realizes it's not right. Ever do something and then get a, this feeling in the pit of your stomach that, why did I do that? Ever feel that before? It's conviction of the Lord. It's proof that the law is right and you are wrong. The problem is all of us have this inner lawyer in us, don't we? We might not have gotten our law degree but man, when it comes to defending our sin, we are amazing lawyers, aren't we? We can figure our way as to why we are okay with that sin. And Paul's saying, no. Don't do that because when you do, you can't ever get out. And look at how he continues in verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells 
within me. Paul's not abdicating responsibility. He's just saying that it's sin's fault, that he recognizes that he is enslaved to this sin. And so anytime you and I try to live life apart from Jesus, we are re-enslaving ourselves to sin. We are going back to our sin. Verse 18, he continues and he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that's in my flesh. For I have the, the desire to do what is right, but no ability to carry it out. Trish, do you realize that? That apart from Jesus, you have no ability to obey. Apart from Jesus, you have no ability to carry out what God actually calls for you and I to do. What we'll see in about a month when we jump back into chapter 8, we will see that God actually gives us the power. And the power he gives us is through the Holy Spirit in us so that we now might obey Jesus Christ. You know what this should mean for us, though? We should not be shocked by our temptation to sin. I was reading a book a couple weeks back called Church Discipline, and in the book, the author was talking about a friend of his who was towing the line about whether to have an affair or not. And this guy was talking to his pastor, and the pastor said, you know what? We should not be surprised by this man's temptation to an affair. We should be surprised by his response. You know, so often I think we're actually surprised by the temptation. Because we don't think that sin is that bad. We don't think sin is right there, ready to pounce on us. What that pastor is trying to help us, and what I hope that Paul is trying to help us this morning, is that you and I need to realize that sin is there. Sin is ready to try to take you over if you are not careful, if I'm not careful. And so what we need to do in that moment is we need to press into community. And we need to press into the Holy Spirit of God. Did you know that you are an expert at everybody else's sin? You're terrible at your own sin. Just reality. But the church of God is called to not use that as a club, but rather use that in grace, that when we are in community, we can use that discernment to love one another and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, I think you're going outside of the ways of God. I think you're going beyond what God is calling us to. And so I want to encourage you to press into community to find somebody in your life that you can just say, I know you're an expert on my life, because I'm not, would you speak into my life? And I'll speak into yours. So we might sharpen each other, that we might grow into the ways of Jesus and that we might resist our sin. Because notice the reason why we should do this. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Paul says, apart from Others helping me, apart from the Spirit of God, 
my, this train of my life continues in the direction of sin. And notice the reason in verse 20. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul just says that if we're not careful, we're going to hop on that sin train and we're going to ride it to its final destination, never getting off. And so church, we've got to be a people who are serious about sin. He's going to tell us in chapter 8, verse 13, that we need to put, to, we need to put sin to death. Some of you hunt, right? You don't like shoot at the deer and then think, I hope I didn't kill it. I hope I just wounded it so it can lay there and I can just kind of play with it. Anyone do that? That's weird, right? When you hunt, you hunt to kill. Why would we not hunt our sin and put it to death? Why would we just wound it so we could just play with it? It's weird we love Jesus, we're going to want to put it to death. We've got to get serious because Paul shows us thirdly that sin doesn't just seize us, it doesn't just enslave us, it is actually an all-out war against us. It is laying siege against your life. John Piper, a former pastor in Minnesota, uh, once gave a message on the reality that we are in a war And if we're not careful, the joys or the pleasures of this world are numbing us to the reality that we are in this war. And you and I need to wake up and realize and begin to fight. And Paul says this in verse 21. Look at that. He says, so I find to be a law that when I do not, when I do right, evil lies close at hand. If that's not a war, I don't know what is. Every time I do what is right, it's like this target gets bigger on my chest for the enemy to begin to knock me down. All out war. Then verse 22 shows us the struggle even more. Paul says, I delight in the law of God. In my inner being. He, he loves it. He sees it and says, oh, don't murder. This is good. But notice the struggle in verse 23. He says, I see in my members another law. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Church. If we are not careful, our bodies, our members are fighting against us. There's this tyranny that is uh, going against us. It is reigning and it is waging this war and it is a constant fight. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like following Jesus is just this constant fight? And yet so often we lose the fight. You know why we lose the fight? Because we make the fight about obedience, not about love. You will lose the fight every time you make the fight about obedience, not love. You see the difference? Obedience can become uh, something that we do with anger or bitterness or frustration. And love is something that we enjoy. 
And so often we look to Jesus and we think, I just need to obey. When he's calling us and inviting us to love him. And out of that love, we will want to obey, not begrudgingly. So we need to be careful, otherwise we're going to become captive to this law. And we're going to lose. We need, we need to realize that in this fight, we need reinforcements from God. And Paul will show us that in chapter 8. Notice what Paul's left. Like, when you're on this train for this long, notice where it eventually brings you. Notice where Paul is left in verse 24. He simply pleads out, wretched man that I am. Do you hear the desperation? He's like, when I give myself to sin, man, there is this, this wretchedness. And for 18 verses, he's trying to show us the reality of sin to the point that at the second half of verse 24, he just cries out, who will deliver me from this body of death? You just feel, in, in some senses, the, the hopelessness that Paul has. And yet, church, we're called to fight. We're called to press on. We're called to get serious. And we've got to get serious in two ways. We've got to get serious by uh, guarding who we are around. We've got to get serious by guarding the people who are influencing our lives. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 16 that bad company corrupts good character. We've got to be careful with the people that we are allowing to speak into our lives, whether they're humans next to us or the humans on TV. We've got to be careful because they are shaping us to think away, and typically it's against the way of God. And then we've got to be careful at what we look at. Can I be honest for a second? Some of us are not guarding our eyes at what we look at. When it comes to TV shows, when it comes to internet websites, when it comes to things in the world around us, we are not guarding our eyes and we wonder why we continuously fall. We wonder why our hearts are not warm to the things of God because we've shifted to the things of the world. And parents, we need to guard our kids. We need to be aware of what they are looking at, aware of what they're taking in, because if we are not, that is leading them further away from the ways of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, that's going to be a fight. I don't know of any other option. Paul just said that we're in a war. And until your loved one, until your little one comes to faith in Jesus Christ, Paul says that they're actually following the ways of the world, which means they are against Jesus. So if I'm following Jesus and my children do not have Jesus in their life. That means they're going against the way of Jesus. And anytime I try to point them to Jesus, it's a fight. Because our sinful nature, as we've seen today, wants nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And you've got two options. You can fight, 
and hope by God's grace they will know Jesus and live for Jesus. Or you can let them have what they want. And Paul said where that train goes, it's death. Clearly you don't hate your kids that much. Let's love them. Be willing to, the world's telling you don't fight. Because the world doesn't want to be convicted by the ways of Jesus. Let's fight, church. And if we fight, there's a way out. That's what we see at the end. That Christ delivers us. That the way in which we fight is through Christ. Look at verse 25. Paul says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind. Even though I'm still fighting in my flesh. When I serve the law of sin. He's saying that the way out is that we put our hope in Jesus Christ. And church, give me a moment. We've got to go a little further. Because look at chapter 8, verse 1. Paul says there's... Therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That the hope through all of this sin that keeps waging this war, the hope, the only way out is Christ. That if we are in Christ, he takes on our condemnation on the cross of Jesus Christ. As the weight and the wrath of God for our sin was placed on Jesus we are now freed because look at verse 2 the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death how? verse 3 God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin and he condemns sin in the flesh Church, the only way out of sin that is fighting and warring against you is to realize that you have no power, but Christ does. That he took your sin and condemned it so that you, by faith in Jesus, no longer have condemnation. You actually can fight. Not because you're strong, but because you have a deliverer that is stronger. And so church, as we think about our life, as we think about the sin that so entangles us, where are you running to for deliverance? Do you continuously go back to your power and go back to the law thinking that if I just obey rightly, if I just muster up enough strength, then maybe I can somehow get myself out of this desperate situation? Or will you finally lay all of that down realizing you're in the desperate situation because of yourself? But there's one that can get you out. The one that can get you out is the one who can speak over you and say there's no condemnation if you're in him. So this morning, won't you come back to Jesus and be in Christ and see him 
as your only hope for deliverance. Let's pray. Father, so often we run to things of this world. So often we run to entertainment. We run to food. We run to uh, comfort. We run to things that we believe will somehow get us through, give us some sort of deliverance. And we just now plead that you would help us, that we would not run to those things, but that we would run to you. We pray in your son's precious name. Amen.